Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Bunker. Pull down the blinds and encrypt your comms. Our fearless leader is on lockdown and back in his bunker after a long hiatus. He's providing his thoughts on the UFC, the state of MMA business, incriminating rumors, and the latest spicy headlines. Complete with the MMA tete-a-tete, featuring interviews with guests from the MMA community. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Kid Nate Wilcox. Hola, MMA connoisseurs. This is Kid Nate of Bloody Elbow coming at you with the MMA Te-A-Te, or Tet-A-Tet as it's spelled. And today we've got real old-school MMA royalty here. I'm talking about TJ Thompson, founder of Icon Sport, which included the, the, the legendary Hawaiian Super Bowl series under its banner and also was involved in much more and the fight business. TJ, welcome. You, you got Elite XC, Pro Elite off the ground as well. Welcome for the show. Uh, if there's anything you want to include in your introduction that I miss, go ahead. No, aloha, aloha MMA connoisseurs. Ah, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And that, and, and that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I've been a fan of your stuff since I got a hold of a VHS tape of, I believe it was Super Brawl 3 that had the classic John Lober versus Frank Shamrock one, in which case Lober won. And it also had, this is a fight nobody remembers, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> I, I, I know it's coming. J.R. Palmer versus Danny Bennett. J.R. Palmer had established himself as a real badass in the first couple of Super Bowls, but he this was one of the first times kind of the underdog won with a different skill set. So it's a can it's, I can I can I jump into a new story I haven't told on us. my series yet? So J.R. Palmer, this story is is one that I'll 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 put on. Um J.R. Palmer started in, in Future Bro, which is these crazy fights at a uh like a military bar by the airport in Honolulu underneath uh underneath the freeway. Um and, and he had come out and went 13 and 0 in tournament style fighting. He was 165 pounds. He had beaten a, 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 an actual fighter that was 435 pounds. It was becoming legendary. And um, at that point, Super Brawl 3, we had started uh, uh, kind of getting a name for ourselves. And I was discussions, in, in discussions at the time. And I was kind of, I wasn't a manager, but I was helping JR with his career as a lot of things happened like, like that back then. We're just friends with sort of help you out or promoters. And we were, we were talking and had a fight set against Ralph Gracie uh, for his next fight. And we brought in uh, Danny Boy Bennett as an easy opponent for him that night so we could keep <laughs> him fresh to fight Ralph Gracie. <laughs> oh, uh, how off, how plans off gang of glay, as they say, man. That was, um, <laughs> that was classic. But tell us first, how were you inspired to get into this? How did you first hear about MMA? And, and what inspired you to start Icon and Super Brawl? Well, it's interesting. It, like pretty much anything good in my life, completely by mistake. Um, uh, I had watched UFC on VHS. Uh, this would have been, uh, we started in late 1995. I promoted my first fight. But 
I was working at this bar, Gussie Lamar's, and, and I was running a female oil wrestling show. That was my career. A, a female oil wrestling promoter. And I wasn't, I didn't even run the show. I was just the MC, basically. I had an opportunity to come to Hawaii. I was living in San Diego. I wanted to live in Hawaii. And uh, the owner of the company uh, came to me and said, Hey, I have this opportunity. I'd like you to MC this female oil wrestling show. I'll fly you to Hawaii. I'll pay you $75 a night. Um, I'll give you an apartment to stay in. The only negative I can think of is that you're going to have to share a two bedroom apartment with four of the female oil wrestlers. That's well, tough, I'm CJ. Tw- tw- 29 years old, single. He hadn't finished his sentence when I said, where's my ticket? <laughs> um, so, so I had been at this bar for over six months, became friends with the owner, Dennis Smith. Um, and he comes to me one night and he says, hey, have you seen this crazy stuff? These guys trying to kill each other uh, on the, these videotapes. He said, ultimate brawling, whatever it is. So oh, it's ultimate fighting championship. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. And I have the same... You know, we're all so educated and I can, you know, I've testified to House and Senate committees of the safety of MMA and all this kind of stuff. But I had the exact same idea that everyone else did, that this, these guys were absolutely ridiculously crazy. Um, someone's going to get killed. And uh, the owner says, hey, do you think we should try and promote a fight like that here? And, and, and I said, I, I probably could help you out. And he says, I could pay you $500 a show if we can put a show on. And to me, $500 could have been $500,000 at the time. So we put an ad in the paper. Back then, you could get a, a voicemail with just a phone number on it. And I, I put an ad in the paper for Fighters Wanted in Hawaii. And I woke up the next day, and there were 67 messages of, of guys that wanted to fight. Um, I, I had only lived in Hawaii for six months. I didn't know the culture here, but as, <laughs> as many, as, as many people know now, it, it is a fighting culture. Um, and, and a week later we had what would be called a rules briefing. We had to build a ring out of plywood and railroad ties and, and a canvas over the plywood. Um, and that, that's how it all started. The eight, eight guys, showed, the, the eight guys, first eight guys that showed up were in the tournament. Uh, if you won your first fight, you got a hundred dollars. If you won your second fight, you got 300. And I think we may have paid $750 to the winner of the tournament. Now you had some lion's den guys like, uh, Jerry Bolander and Trey, uh, trauma Telegman in, in, in early events. How did they come to And, 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 and Pete, Pete Williams. Oh yeah. Pete Williams famous for Pete, his Pete, KO kick Pete. of Mark Coleman. Um, how'd you get hooked up with the lion's den and, and, were they Lionsden guys at the time when, when they started fighting for you? Well, at the time, I, ha- I had a couple friends in L.A. My business partner, actually, a, a guy named Ode Haugen, a uh, 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 Norwegian guy, world strongman competitor. He was uh, owned a bunch of, bunch of world's gyms, and he was sort of the, the, the money behind leaving that, leaving that bar, Gussie Lamores, and going to the Blaisdell Arena. He became my partner and we, we be, uh, became working together. And he knew someone that knew someone that knew Ken Shamrock. Um, and at the time, it's, it's funny, uh, I got all these, these great, great camps, great fighters, uh, big name fighters, and people think I'm some sort of negotiation, negotiating wizard. But living in Hawaii and flying guys to Hawaii made things a lot easier. I'm pretty sure Ken wanted a trip to Hawaii and threw his guys in. And at the time, you know, these, these, he didn't care who they were fighting. There was no one that was going to beat them. You know, Jerry Bull, like you said, Jerry Bolander, Trey Telegman, this is 1996. Um, 
they were so far ahead of the game at the time that he wasn't asking like who's their opponents. He said, "We'll just throw them in." Yeah, and, and clearly they were, uh, you know, well ahead of the competition. But by Super Bowl three, we talked about J.R. Palmer getting caught and upset by Danny Boy Bennett. Now, Danny Boy Bennett, he was a pro fighter. You just thought he had a skill set that wasn't amenable to MMA, right? That's correct. And, 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 and what I didn't know until after, the, the, a dear friend of mine that helped me bring him out, uh, Matt Hume. Uh, Matt uh-huh. Hume helped tra- Matt Matt Hume helped train him for that fight. Uh, there we go. Yeah, Matt Hume, who uh, fought in um, a number of early promotions and and had been involved in the evolution of Japanese pro wrestling into MMA early on. So, yeah, he was Matt Hume. Was... And also, I'm going to say, unarguably, the greatest MMA coach um, in history. I, 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 I don't think there's anyone better. If you talk about I... a guy... Um, uh, just Mighty Mouse is the people people know the most. Uh, Mighty Mouse hadn't trained MMA uh, uh, or wrestling or anything, I believe, when he met when he met uh, Matt Hume and brought him from from beginning to end. Um, yeah. he, he, he his 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 MMA mind is like nothing else, and his skill level. Um, he's still beating up guys in the gym at at fifty seven years old. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm sure there's a few people who could nitpick and say, oh, this coach or that coach. But Matt Hume is yeah. right up there with the best as far as I'm concerned. But there was another shocking upset on that card. And that's when Frank Shamrock, who I think had already been king of Pancrase, or at least had already. He had been. Himself. He had been. He had, he had been king of Pancrase. Yeah. Um, so he's and- been in there with Boss Rutten and, and, you know, uh, the greats. Um, Suzuki and, and Funaki and all those cats in, in, in Japan. And he fights a guy named John Lober and frankly got his ass whipped. Was that a shock this, to you as well? This, this, this it was not. And I'm going to explain why. This is one of my favorite fights. Top 10, possibly top five that I've ever promoted. Uh, the 30 minute running time fight. Uh, headbutts allowed. Um, I don't believe we, I think we outlawed groin strikes by that time, uh, but headbutts were, were still allowed, kicking on the, kicking in the head on the ground, all that sort of stuff. I had been, um, we, had, we had gotten uh, through, through Ken uh, that we we're going to put Frank Shamrock on Super Brawl 3, um, negotiated a price. They basically would fight anyone uh, that we could afford. And, and I was in Dothan, Alabama at Extreme Fighting Battlecade and watched this unknown kid lose to Igor Zinoviev, and his name was John Lober. And he put up the most incredible fight against Igor Zinoviev, who, again, the people, people um, past a certain age may remember the name. Uh, I knew he was a tough kid. Did I think he was going to beat Frank? I didn't, but I, I knew it was going to be a heck of a fight. Yeah, and and it sure was. And Shamrock got his revenge in the UFC later on, thoroughly got his revenge on Lober. But, um, you know, you can't take away the fact that Lober beat him in that match. And I don't want to spend too much time on the the stuff that that this early stuff. It's just some of it is so so important to me. let me tell you, this is what I'm here for. This, this is the reason I'm, I'm sort of, I've been telling some stories on, on video on my social media, and I think it's important that this stuff be documented. Um, it was a different time. I talked to Frank Shamrock soon after that fight, and, and this, he, he had uh, 20 pro fights, King of Pancrase was dominating the Japanese scene. This was his true no-holds-barred fight. 
the rule set was different in Japan at the time. Um, open, open hand striking and pancreas. Uh, and, and, and he, he was not ready for the, the toughness that, that real no holds barred was. Remember, MMA wasn't a word back then. Some people were calling it uh, valetudo, which means anything goes in, in Portuguese. Um, but generally, it, it was called no holds barred because it was very close to, to no rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, you can tell there's just a visceral impact of watching that fight that Frank was not quite ready for what he got himself into. And this is part of what inspires his legendary run where he partners with Maurice Smith and and, uh, TK out of Japan and to me becomes the first true mixed martial artist and goes on this run where he annihilates uh, uh, Zinoviev in 16 seconds in a fight I saw live in Louisiana, uh, you know, armbarred Kevin Jackson, the Olympic gold medalist, and, you know, becomes to me one of the early great UFC champs. And like you say, this history has been erased, but I want to jump ahead a little bit to a tournament you hosted at Super Brawl 13, which... I never I wrote a pretty long MMA history that's kind of been erased on Bloody Elbow because of the way it's hard to keep keep <laughs> archives. Um, it, you know. By the way, you, by the way, you yeah, I, I love I love the site. Holy crap! The amount of content you guys put out. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely we're chained to the mast on on a treadmill here. But um, I never quite got to this tournament, Super Bowl thirteen, which was nineteen ninety nine, I believe. But to me, this is one of the key moments in establishing the lineal heavyweight MMA championship. Oh, thank you, Francis. I agree. Because it bring, it brought together like two future UFC champs were in it. Josh Barnett, who won the tournament, also Rico Rodriguez, who got what, knocked out in the first round. But yep, Bobby Hoffman. Also, yep, and 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 I, I want to get to him in a second. Also, I got a shout out. I'm from the Texas Panhandle, so I got a shout out Heath Herring, who went on to become a star in Japan from out in Love Texas. Heath. And um and also uh, Travis Fulton, who's kind of infamous. I'm not gonna. He's gone on some dark places, but was a legendary Iron Man who probably fought more MMA fights than anybody else. And then this character, Bobby Hoffman, who at the time was possibly the scariest guy in MMA to a lot of people. I mean, this is a Pat Militech has talked about how he bought a gun because he was working with Bobby Hoffman. Tell us about that going in and how it all went down and, and your reaction to it, because it's just to me a very important well, moment in MMA history. Well, by that time, uh, still one of my best friends to this day formed a relationship with Monty Cox. So I, I had that that sort of Midwest connection. Um and and he was managing Bobby Hoffman, who later threatened to kill his wife and family. Um, and he saw, and he stopped managing him. Bobby yeah. Hoffman, a guy that had done a bunch of prison time. Um, you know, I I, I have these uh, sort of a real. I I have mental health uh, history in my family, and and I I have some sympathy for this. So I, I, I look at it a little different than most than just this bad motherfucker that was trying to kill people. It's a guy that obviously had childhood trauma, um, but he, he, I believe he played college football and had a tryout for the NFL or maybe even played half a season or something, but got kicked out for behavior. Um, six, six, four, 240 pounds, unbelievably athletic, the bad seed, Bobby Hoffman. Um, and the stories we've just told, he wasn't afraid to kill you. Um, and, and that's not the, you know, there's no hyperbole there. This is a guy that, that, that a lot of people that he, you talk about winning before you step into the cage or the ring. Um, this would happen with a guy like this. He was just plain mean. 
Yeah, he was terrifying. And I remember um, picking him to win uh, the tournament. I think I wrote into Jeff Osborne's hook and shoot newsletter. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I love to listen. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, being a, a Texas Heath Herring fan, um, yep. Heath loses to him in the second round, I believe. And um, uh, Heath used to love giving his back and hitting a Kimura. Um, from someone on his back, and he popped Bobby Hoffman's arm. Bobby had one arm for that finals. Man, and and lucky for Josh Barnett that he did, because um, it, it, it. And and well, I'm sorry, I, I talk way too much, so get used to it. Um, Josh had one ankle because when he came into the ring for the finale, you can watch it on the video. He jumps over the top ropes and lands and rolls his ankle. It had a high sprain on his ankle, <laughs> and then yeah. and then and then beat then beats Bobby Hoffman in a in a fifteen minute war. Wow! And Barnett was coming out of the same Hume Matt Hume world, right? Nineteen year old Josh Barnett, um, babyface. I actually named him the Babyface Assassin was his first nickname. I gave it to him that night. Um, a kid that looked like a marshmallow. Um, no muscle tone whatsoever, overweight. Um, his, his shape was thin at the top, thin at the bottom, big around the hips, and, j and just was a shock to me. I didn't know Matt Hume well enough at the time. So I, I called Matt Hume. I had, you name the names, uh, Bobby Hoffman, Heath Herring, Rico Rodriguez, uh, uh, Travis Fulton. I have all these fighters. And where did Rico in, come from? Where did you, where had you heard about Rico? You know, uh, through, through, uh, I think John Lewis at JSAC. Um, okay. out of Vegas. Yep. 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 Yeah. So, so I, I called Matt Hume, who I had, had just started working with. And I said, Matt, I got this heavyweight tournament. What do you think of it? Do you, do you have anybody you want to put in? He goes, I got the kid that'll win it. And I went, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. And, and Louis Thompson said, all right, you, you want him in, I'll throw your kid in it, we'll throw him in the mix and see what happens. Um, and of course, the, if, if I had known Matt Hume like I know him today, uh, I would have taken him a lot more seriously. Indeed. And, and Heath Herring was coming out of Steve Nelson's promotion in Amarillo, Texas. It also produced Evan Tanner and a ton of, of, of other fighters. So, so you were definitely sort of picking the best of the best from the nascent American no holds barred scene and putting it now, in now, this tournament. Now, now, yeah, absolutely. And that, and I was doing the best I could. I knew, I knew nothing. I really, I mean, it, it, that was, it, this has been called and I don't mind repeating promotional stuff, the greatest heavyweight tournament in history, the greatest one night heavyweight tournament. Um, and, it, and it can be argued. I knew nothing. I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. We got really, really lucky. I had some, I had some, some good friends like Ronnie Cox and Matt Hume, um, you know, and, and, and John Lewis and was able to sort of take their, take their word that we had good guys coming in the tournament, but boy, for for eight guys, the kid, Yuha Tukasari, the only guy that, that doesn't get talked about was that the world's he lost to Josh Barnett in the first round. The world's reigning strongman champion, under 220 pounds, had never fought MMA, and 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 broke Josh Barnett's nose in the in the first in the first round of the first fight. Man, yeah, they were they were playing for real there uh, back back in the day, and it was so exciting, and then it was so painful to wait for the VHS to come in the mail. And, I love I love to hear that. And I remember not opening Hook and Shoot. Uh, because I didn't. Want oh to wow, that's dedicate. That's dedication. 
Yeah, it, it was. I kept the hook and shoot. I think it came in an envelope where it was stapled together. This was a yeah. I, 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 I mean, it, it, it was a Manila envelope that were coming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, and um, and Jeff Osborne, you know, is supplementing the subscriptions, <laughs> bootleg and videotapes. <laughs> and, My, uh, mine, mine, mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you can forgive him after this time. Yeah, but that that tournament, you know. Obviously, there you know two UFC, two future UFC champions, uh, future Pride and UFC competitor, and Heath Herring. Bobby Hoffman went on to fight for rings. I can't remember if he ever made it to Pride, um, or not. Any fight know. in UFC? Yeah, that's right. He did fight in the UFC, and um, yeah. and somebody whose personal problems kept him from achieving his potential. Clearly. Of course, of course. But yeah, but it basically functioned as a feeder for the incredible rings king of kings tournament that brought in you know these guys into the mix plus fedor and big nog and dan henderson and and then goes on to establish the lineal heavyweight title so yeah so to me your place in no holds barred in mma history is secure just for what you've already done by as of 1999 with super bowl 13 but let, let, let's keep going because you didn't stop let's talk about a couple other stars um that you worked with and both of whom tragically have kind of become infamous um, for their criminal conduct in recent years, sadly. Um, but I'm talking about Phil Baroni, uh, the New York badass, and Jason Mayhem Miller. Tell us about your experience working with these guys when they were young and at the prime of their career. And if you, like, could you see what, what, if you'd known where the road was going when you met him, could, could you have ever seen what their ultimate fates were coming? Um, uh, and that's not a fair question, you. I realize. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it's a very fair question. In the, in the past month, I've given it, um, I've given it a ton of thought. <laughs> I, I understand. I uh, sympathize. You know, I, I, so, 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 Phil Baroni, Phil Baroni is a dear friend. Of, of life, of my family. Um, he would stay with my wife and I when he come in Hawaii. Um, he loved to party hard, would party hard with him. Um, but CTE is a real problem in mixed martial arts. No uh, doubt about I, that. I, I've, I've talked, I, I've, I, I said, I've, I've testified before House and Senate committees in both Nevada and Hawaii about the safety of MMA um, 15, 20 years ago and, and could talk to you for two hours on why it's safe. I would never do that again. Um, yeah, I would not let my. Uh, I wouldn't let my. I wouldn't let my children um, fight MMA. I love this sport. I love to watch it. I get it. I've trained. I fought. Um, it, it means the world to me. Um, but if I, I love someone, I don't want them to do it. And Phil Baroni, in general, um, had was emotionally unstable when I met him, and a wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, intelligent, charismatic, obviously incredibly talented. And I watched him, this guy's been through wars. I've watched him go through these wars and I watched his personality change. I watched his speech start slurring. Um, I watched his speech, speech pattern changing and I watched him get more and more erratic to the point where um, probably four years ago, stopped hanging out with him uh, in person and three years ago stopped having any contact with him um, because because he was volatile um, so he's he if anyone doesn't know um, killed killed a, a girl he was dating 
in Mexico six months ago or more and is in jail for life. The alleged is he's already been convicted. Um, I, I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, I don't. He he did it. I mean, no, yeah, I, yeah. I know, I, I, I know him. I love him. But yeah, but he, he here's here's where I guess you caught me off guard, um, and I actually got a little emotional. I, I t- completely the, 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 these wars that these guys go through um, change who they are as human beings. I put them in these wars, um, so there's. I don't know the answer. Um, would I do it again? I probably wouldn't. Um, but that's, I don't know. I mean, there are financial things, there's all that thing that goes along with it, but it's, it's something that has to be looked about. And, and I'm going to get on the soapbox a little bit here. I think there are, are, are I think there are, it's, I'm, I'm calling it, and I have to, again, in the last month, I've given this a ton of thought. It's, it's, it, it, it's the holy trinity of risk factors um, for, for, for fighters falling down the dark side. Um, it's mental health issues, which, very, very few MMA fighters don't start with mental health issues. Why yeah. the fuck would you do this if you didn't have some issues going on? Um, now, with those mental health issues, and, and I, I can speak personally for myself, training mixed martial arts and fighting can really help them, the discipline, all that. Um, the this, this second is drugs and alcohol use. Many, many fighters that have mental health issues end up having issues with, with substances. And now, now you've got two that are really bad. Add the third risk factor of CTE. If you have all three, you, have, you don't have a chance to get better. May, Mayhem Miller, another dear friend, yeah. guy that stayed with me, guy that I, I take a ton of credit for developing his character. He, he, he gets the the, the major because he's the character, but I, I brought that out of him. I had sit in discussions of what we should do. Um, I, I called him the most dangerous Howley since Captain Cook um, to create create an image out here. Um, one of the, the if you read you I and mean, I I know you well enough. You've read his writings on MySpace, political yes. writings, um, yes. pop culture writings. Brilliant. Yep. He was the, the, smart he. he he had it and still is a smart guy, but he has mental health issues. He has substance abuse problems. And, he, it, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's got CTE. Um, I think coaches probably are where this is going to have to start to look for these three different things and figure out what's, ha- what's happening, happening with them. Um, I'm sorry the guy gets so freaking serious. These are wonderful human beings. I know them both really well. Um, call them a piece of shit, call them what they, you know, I know who they are. Um, I don't forgive either of them for their actions. Um, the may- mayhem, just as I told a story about him recently and, and put it online, got a couple hundred thousand views on TikTok, had been quiet on social media um, for almost two years. The next day posted on social media. I thought, oh, that's maybe a good thing. The next day got arrested. Ouch. Yeah. Now I'm I'm happy this is going in this direction because you know I don't I don't talk to a lot of people that are in the fight game. This is something I learned very early on that I wanted to keep it keep my innocence as a fan, as it were. I worked with one promotion in Virginia 
in 2007, 2008 when we were first starting Bloody Elbow. And I was like, never again. I didn't like the, the promoter guy. And then I, 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 he, he went on to a very sad day. Promoters prom- 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 are scumbags. As a rule, yes, yes. And, yes. and it, it, it's, the le- it's the level of, of uh, our job is to bend the truth, to stretch the truth as far as we can. But there is no one stopping us from breaking the truth. Um, from lying to fighters. So do I know I, I did I ever do it? I probably did. I don't know. I I I am really um kind of proud of my integrity, but I've been talked bad about by fighters and, and I maybe I've done fighters wrong. But it's it's a it's a business full of of, of shysters um and people that aren't afraid to lie. And, it's inherent and, and to the business. It's it's a carny. It, 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 it's a carny, absolutely. My and, my and, first job if I can my first yeah, go. Just for one second. It's a carny who's making money off of the other people's physical sacrifices. You know, it, it's a you lot like that, that, Absolutely. So a carny is just putting a guy on a ride that maybe has a one in, a, one in 10,000 chance of, of hurting them. Whereas yeah. this is what we're, what we're talking about, guys getting punched in the head. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I have a lot of guilt about having made a nice living and been comfortable for a decade off of Bloody Elbow, um, when you look at what's happened to people, like, to all the fighters, you know? And, and then, and somebody, to me, like, one of the worst things that you can do is do what Phil Baroni has done. And, you know, that's just a heavy, a heavy, heavy burden. So thank you so much for being honest. And, you know, see, <laughs> your, your pack of dogs doesn't like the tone of the Yeah, sorry. That's all right. Someone came but, uh, the door. but, you know, somebody was on Twitter the other day talking about current fight promoters and, and being like, can you be a fight promoter without being a scumbag? And, and I mean, it's like, can you be a, a porn producer without being a scumbag? Like, you know, like, no, no. Yeah, event, yeah. But it's just the nature of the business, you know, and and um, yeah. So so but I also feel like just like porn that gladiatorial combat for entertainment is something human beings have done as long as we have circled around fires at night and, and we'll could do it yes and, and anyone listening this deep into this this depressing uh subject is, is madly in love with mma and, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and sees the beauty um and again i i think it can be in, incredibly positive for young men um and women but, and 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 yes, for, yes. for and I think it's kind of a holy right. I mean, it's 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 something that human beings do that requires sacrifice on the part of the competitors, uh, a high, high sacrifice. I mean, all competitors make sacrifices. All entertainers make sacrifices. But, you know, these guys are literally, like you say, changing themselves, you know, putting risking bodily harm, personality change, all these kind of things. So. Yeah, I'm glad we went there, but let, let's 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 keep going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little about about Robbie Lawler because he's somebody who's I think gone on to one of the happier endings, and not that his story has ended, but you know he's had an incredible MMA career let, and let, still let, seems let, to be let, let, let me put my my promoter hat on. Um, I'm a in a uh, not so insignificant part of why he's a success today. Um, he flunked out. Of, he flunked out of a UFC. He was done. If you remember that. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, Nick Diaz knocked and, him out, and and, 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 and he had it. He had his resurgence 
and and uh, and icon sport for me. Um, and, and it was planned that way. Monty Cox, I'll give him more credit than even myself. Um, but Monty and I sat down and had an actual plan of, of researching uh, Robbie Lawler's career. And here's something that a, a lot of promoters weren't going to do is that we had it set up where he got a certain amount of money and it, and it wasn't a lot. Um, thank you, Robbie Lawler. Um, I gave him a five fight guaranteed contract that he was going to fight five fights if he wanted to fight five fights. If he lost all five, I had to fight him. Um, and he obviously wasn't going to fight easy people. Mayhem Miller, uh, Nico Vitale, uh, Frank Trigg. Uh, these, are, these are the fights he ended up in. But the, the deal I set up with Monty was, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring him in. He's going to headline. Uh, he's going to fight these top-tier guys. If he loses the fight, he's going to make half the money that he's contracted for in his next fight, but it's going to be a tomato can. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do what the UFC does to guys. It just runs them, runs them out of the business. And, and young fighters especially uh, need that. They need, they need, they need their confidence. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, uh, in, the, in the case of Robbie, what happened was he ended up uh, losing to Mayhem Miller, uh, getting choked out, and, and we, had a, we had a fight for him, and he came out and he got food poisoning and ended up not taking that kind of tune-up fight. And I won't mention who, who, I'm, who I put in as a tune-up, um, but then came back uh, and, and, and fought, I fought Frank Trigg. Uh, so he fought all tough fights for me. But, but the, the, we, we had a plan of, of bringing him back uh, to, 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 what it, to, to growing him to wherever he could be. And I'm very proud of what he became. Um, and now here's another we talk about health and safety of fighters. Robbie Lawler stopped sparring about 10 years ago. All together on his part. Um, and, 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 you know, as in boxing, uh, a great part of the damage gets done in the gym with these guys sparring so hard and sparring so many rounds. Absolutely. Uh, um, Max, Max Holloway doesn't spar around anymore. Not around. I'm glad to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, you know, something like... Uh, <clears throat> You know, they take enough damage in the in the live fights and it and it's quantitative. The more damage you take to your brain, the more damage you're going to do. So that explains a lot with Robbie Lawler. And he's you know, Lawler came out and he was so cocky and he was so dangerous that he was one of these. I always preferred kind of the skilled grapplers to these just killers like he was. And so he was somebody at first that I just when Nate when Nick Diaz beat him, I was so over the moon. And that was the first time I got to see uh, Nick fight. And, uh, you know, but but watching. Lawler over the years I've really come to admire him and and, and very proud of him um for, now, now, now he wasn't the, he wasn't the easiest guy to promote thank goodness he he was in such great fights for me because because the guy doesn't talk you know I mean he has, he has no interest in media um yeah and, and, and he'll talk your ear off when you're when you're sitting at, at, at a dinner table with him at a Korean restaurant about all kinds of stuff but he he, he just just wants to fight and and that's a respectable choice, and a lot of fighters have made that decision. Um, I know that you know the Diaz brothers fairly well. You want to tell us a couple Diaz stories before we talk about Pro Elite and Elite XC? Well, I, I got a great picture of, of, of uh, my wife and Nick flipping the finger to the camera at a pool party in Las Vegas. Um, they're just these are these are two kids, and I say kids are obviously kids to me still. Um, way smarter than you think they are. Um, Clearly, way way more manageable than you think they are and way nicer as human beings than I think you are. Um, uh, 
my, my, my niece, Maggie Grandotti, who is a kind of a big name in jujitsu right now uh, in the BJJ world. She's my niece, um, became friends with Nick and, and Nick's mom and my sister, uh, my niece's, my niece's mom uh, talk regularly. Cool. The great, 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 great people, different upbringing than, than a lot of us had. Um, you know, they're, 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 it's, it's not a show what you're seeing. I'm not saying they're putting on a show. Um, they they believe in, 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 in loyalty and family, all that kind of stuff. It's just, just a different way than I was brought up. But they're no, no, no different as far as being good human beings. Cool. And tell us about um, the Pro Elite Elite XC, because this was a, a real How much time do you have? <laughs> We've we got at least 25 minutes to, to, to talk because this was, I would say, looking at your career from a distance and correct me if I'm wrong. You obviously know it better than I did, but this was kind of your shot. This was, this was, this is when you went for the gusto elite XC was a very serious, well-funded, you know, on major networks, uh, uh, attempt to, to take the UFC's crown at a time when the UFC was not, remotely what it is now tell us about that whole deal how'd you get involved uh you know what went right what went wrong how'd you get out of it so i'll, I'll give you the full details we've got the, the show going in hawaii um i'm making really good money um living a wonderful life and i've got this opportunity to maybe go to the next level um so uh, i think jeremy lappin was the attorney did most of the negotiating with me um uh, I, I, I haven't, um, uh, this is a guy that uh, Dana White immortalized as the reverse mic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.